And this is not a time to think love and light, love and light, love and light. Mm-hmm. This is a time to look at reality mm-hmm. and realize that it's it's the tower card in tarot. Mm. The tower card, everybody looks at as doom, gloom, and destruction, mm-hmm. but I don't. I say, look, it's the imploding sports stadium card. You know, if the Yankees want to build a new stadium, they got to blow up the old one first yeah. and clear the ground. And that's what we're doing. Hello, friends, and welcome to Curiously Wise. I am Lauren Wittig. I am your host. And today I have a guest with me who I've had on the podcast before. We had such a good time that we decided to come back and do it again. So welcome, Corby Mitleid. I'm so happy to have you here and looking forward to today's conversation. It's great to be back, Lauren. So today we're going to talk about one of your books. Actually, before I dive into that, let me just get you, for those who haven't heard your previous episode, just give us a little bit of your bio. I'll choose as small a 30 second because <laughs> I've got two it's of them. A lot. It is. I have been doing metaphysical work, psychic medium work full time since 9-11, but started it when I was a kid in high school. Certified tarot master, past life specialist, psychic medium channel, all that. Clean out your life closet specifically came because of a wildly dysfunctional childhood. Everybody else was medical. There I was, actress, writer. Mm -hmm. And so my life path was very much crisis to crisis to crisis, rape, poverty, abuse, divorce, cancer. But it gave me the tools to be a deeply compassionate, not quite as self-referential, intuitive counselor. Mm -hmm. And the reason I wrote the book is because all of us have grown up with self-help books that say, unless you do it our way, you're a failure. And now I I can't tell you that I haven't lived your life, right? You're the only one who can take your life and make it meaningful. I can maybe give you a couple tools. Mm -hmm. All right. And we're bringing this out right after New Year's. So this is a perfect time of year to sort of think about where you've been and where you want to go. And, and, and then this book will help you kind of figure out some tools that maybe how to implement whatever it is that you want to bring into the world this year. Is that a good good way to put it? Okay. All right. So the book is called Clean Out Your Life Closet, which I love. I I think I, every six months or so, I have to stop and do some more of that. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I I actually took a poll with about six titles Uh and everyone was like, this one, this one. So it was pretty obvious. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great title. I love it. And titles are so important to books because that's what, you know, really grabs us. So what inspired you to write this book? It started with my very first self-help book, which I read when I was 13. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I remember the first paragraph. Mm -hmm. Judy has a groovy wardrobe. Her hair is fab and her makeup is far out. Remember, this is 1968. But nobody likes Judy because Judy is fat. In that one paragraph, you are saying to the millions of teenagers in America, you are worthless unless you're skinny enough. And we judge you skinny enough. Yeah. And we all grew up with that kind of an attitude. Mm -hmm. When I was reading other books currently, there's one that says you have to get up every morning first thing and do yoga and avoid food with leptin. Now, if you're a single mom with two kids and two jobs in Milwaukee, Mm -hmm. you are not going to do that. Yeah. So I chose to write a book that said, here's some of the dumb things I did. 
here's maybe a client story. And here are some suggestions. But at the end of each chapter, I have the adventure pages where there are questions that you must answer from your own life. You can't turn to page 82 and crib the answers. Mm -hmm. So by the end of your reading this book, even if your best friend reads it at the same time, each of you will have a different personal manual based on what your life experience is. Oh, I love that. I love that. I think that's so empowering Mm -hmm. when you can dig into what is personal to you and and I, I'm a strong believer in writing things down because yes. I often don't know what I'm thinking or feeling until it either comes out of my mouth or out of my fingers in one way or another. I just don't, I'm not, even as introspective as I am, I, I have a hard time sort of grabbing those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So I'm a, a long time journaler and this is the perfect, you know, it's, it's like journal prompts. It's, it's, it I'm really like, is. It really yeah, is. Yeah. So I think that's a very powerful tool for people. And very, very empowering because it, it lets you take your, your power back. It lets you be the one to, to look in. One of the taglines for it is when you are in charge of your changes, all possibilities are yours as well. Yeah. Because no one's telling your changes are wrong. It's all up to you. Right. Please right. learn to trust yourself. That, and that's, yeah, I think that's like at the crux of so much growing up in yeah, our cultures as, as women and we we distrust ourselves. We're told so much of what we should look like, we should be, we should do, we should eat, drink, whatever. You know, I tell a story when women say, I don't know what I want when they come to me for a session. I say, all right, does this sound familiar? You're two. There's this big white thing with shiny silver things in your reach and your mother goes, bad, hot. Well, okay. But four, there's a plate of cookies. You're a smart four-year-old. You know, there's more in the big one than the little one. So you reach for the big one and your mother goes, bad, and you're selfish. So you're not even going to get a cookie. And she gives it to her little brother who eats it at you. And then she compounds it with, besides, girls who eat cookies or get fat. And nobody likes a fat girl. Do you really want the cookie? To the point where we are emotionally bludgeoned. So that by the time we're six or seven, we were taught if we want anything, we're wrong, we're bad, we'll be punished, and we have to watch somebody else get it. Mm-hmm. Which is why so many women, 40s, 50s, 60s, I don't know what I want. They're terrified of wanting. Yes. There's nothing wrong with it. Right. Right. Yeah. I have totally experienced that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we are so, I don't know, confined into what is okay for us. And it's so yes. outwardly defined. It's from the outside that we don't, we don't really trust what we want for ourselves. Isn't that Our parents were so shoehorned into what was proper that the idea of rebellion, individuality, was to them a cancer. Mm-hmm. And it had to be stamped out. Mm-hmm. Today we know better, but our generation is still growing up from that. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking back because I'm a little bit younger. And my parents, that's my mom, that's not hard. <laughs> it's only a little bit, only a few years. <laughs> okay. But I mean, I was growing up in the sixties and, and early seventies were sort of my you know formative years. And my mom was into the big feminist movement. And my brother was a conscientious objector in Vietnam. And my dad was a civil rights lawyer. And I just got dragged along with their stuff. That was the stuff mm-hmm. that I was supposed to be 
interested in. I was supposed to be okay being thrown into the midst of at, you know, seven or 10. And I always thought, well, I sh I'm supposed to be an activist, but that's not me, <laughs> you know? So, so it's even, even with families that were a little more, you know, looking forward culturally, there still was this, there, there were these boxes that we were supposed to be in. Mine were a little different than, yes. than some others, but it's still, this is the box you're supposed to be in. And unless mm -hmm. you're in this box, you know, and for me, that included being the top of my class and going to a great college, all these things. If you weren't in that box, then you, they weren't proud of you. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. all right. So let's get into the book because now that we know what the problem is for most of us. Yes. Let's look at some of the stuff in the book. So when you talk about life closet, explain that to us a little bit. We know what it is to clean out our closets, mm -hmm. but our life closet is full of things like needing to get clear, learning to adapt, learning how to simplify and making friends with stress. Mm -hmm. And these are not things we are taught. Mm -hmm. So I go through it in each part of the book and they build on each other. The first part, part one is on clarity. And I always see life as a three-legged stool. If you get clear on your purpose, get clear in relationships, and get clear with spirit, you can go anywhere and do anything. Absolutely. Yeah. Then, okay. then it's life as a tiny house. You know, there are finite things on earth. And we've been living like that isn't the case, mm -hmm. which is why all of us are stressed. All of us are in debt. And we have to learn to simplify. You know, yeah, everybody needs their own toothbrush, but do they all yeah. need their own copies of Harry Potter? No. Right. <laughs> then there's adaptability, going with the flow. Uh, the most important chapter probably in the whole book is one called When Perfect Destroys Good, which looks at my father, my mother, and my stepmother, Shirley, whom he married after my mother died very young of a heart attack. And how that affected me, mm -hmm. how I looked at myself, how I changed how I looked at myself. And then the other part is making friends with stress because we're all going to have it. But there's yeah. good stress and bad stress. Right. So right. when you learn stress is mission creep, stress is the shot across the bow and when to stand your ground, you can make it work for you instead of against you. Okay. So let's start right there because that's something that I personally struggle with a lot. I get overwhelmed mm -hmm. and stressed. Yeah. And yeah. even when it's good stuff, things I want to do, things I want to create, I get overwhelmed and stressed and then I'm procrastinating. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Got it. Or Got avoid it. or, you know, so give us an idea of what, what one or two tools for making friends with stress, or actually let's start with what's the difference between good stress and bad stress? Because in our society, we just say stress. <laughs> you know? All right. Good stress are things like when you're about to start a race, when you're going into an interview for a job you're excited about, when you are stepping on stage in a play, when you're working on, on your MCATs, you know, you're going to want to go to med school. That's good stress. Bad stress is when we say no, when we should, you know, say yes. And yes, when we should have said no. It is when we are guilty if we don't take on what everyone else wants us to do. It's when we put ourselves last. It's when we double think everything. Those are the times when we just pile stress on ourselves and it's like so much mud. Mm -hmm. 
So is there a, a tool or two that you can help us? Well, first of all, you've said how we can differentiate it. Yes. So let's do the scenario of you're under bad stress. Mm-hmm. And which I think is probably the predominant one. I know in my life, that's been the predominant one, all the yes. shifts and oughts and musts and, you know, those things as opposed to the things oh, that are in the flow. <laughs> yes. So what's a tool that I could have used <laughs> since I've passed that part of my life for the most part okay. to recognize and deal with or make friends with <laughs> bad stress? Well, first, first thing you should get up and move. Most of our stress happens because we're at our desk. Yes. But you get up, you walk. I don't care if you if it's a bad day. You can't go, just go into your kitchen and open and close every cabinet drawer. Breathe. Mm-hmm. Andrew Wilde teaches the four, seven, eight breath, which is four in, hold for seven, out for eight. Mm-hmm. And when you're really concentrating on your breath, that I highly recommend grabbing your fur person if you've got one. I have three, mm-hmm. including a 27-pound Maine Coon. Mm-hmm. And when I'm busy schnoodling, prawing, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that big. Sip something warm and comforting, you know, coffee or tea or whatever you need. Find music that works for you. I know with me, there are certain artists, Anugama, or I go on to YouTube and find the ambient mandala or fractal things that just have mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. And I give myself five or 10 minutes just to get involved in that. And the other thing is to always remember to ask yourself three questions. What am I stressed about? Why am I stressed about that? And the question we never ask ourselves, what do I think would happen if I stopped being stressed about that? You're <laughs> allowed to. You know, it's it's like being a happy Martian detective. And that means being absolutely free of any judgments about what this should be like. And the example I give is, If you and I were sitting across from each other and you had water coming out of your eyes, I might say to you, Lauren, why are you crying? But I could be wrong. Glebel, the Martian, who is just coming out of his little spaceship, comes toddling over to you with a huge grin and he goes, why is there water coming from your eyes? And he might get a better answer because maybe your contact lenses are bugging you or maybe you have allergies or maybe there's an emotional basis. Mm Mm-hmm. There are so many ways we can unplug from the stress when we get out of it, get off the hamster wheel for a minute and look at it. Hmm. It's like when you're really depressed, the visualization that I give people is I want you to imagine yourself at the bottom of a pit, but you look up and you can see the edge of the pit in the sky. It's not encompassing. There is a way out. Mm-hmm. And just seeing that, people start to back up and get a little more objective and see what they can do for themselves. Yeah. Perspective is so powerful. And if we get, I just like right here in front of our own face and we can't see past that, mm-hmm. it does, it limits us in a lot of ways. I talk about perspective a lot with my clients mm-hmm. and it's been one of my big lessons <laughs> on my spiritual journey. Just like, which is just like, you know, pretend like you're a hawk and look down and see what's going on, you know, really. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So I often call it the hawk's eye view. I need the hawk's eye view. Let me, let me back out of this and look at it. Yeah. What I give people is the exercise called the deity on the mountain. Imagine that you are a God or a goddess and you are 50 feet tall and you are standing on top of a mountain that overlooks a little village. And you see the births and the deaths and the alliances and the squabbles and the marriages and the divorces. But You only see it as patterns because you're not in the middle of it. Right. So again, 
Objectivity is your gift. Yeah. That's where I like journaling too and doing your, what do you call them at the end of the adventures? You know, at the adventure, end of the Yes, the adventure pages. The adventure pages. Because I've been a journaler through the bad times of my life for sure. Not as much during the good times, but during the bad yes. times, it's like I got to get yes. it out of my head and on paper so I can see it. Mm-hmm. Then I can also go back and I don't do this often, but I can go back and look through it. And that's where I start to see patterns. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's very, very helpful, I, I find, to have some tool like that that gets it out of your head and out where you can actually see it. Yeah. So to, to give a quick example, mm-hmm. just three questions at the end of the chapter, why perfect isn't what you think it is. Yes. That's Has perfect one. been a friend or foe in your life? Why? When did the search for perfection stop you from doing something important? How so? Think of a challenging situation and find three perfect things about it. How do your feelings about the situation change? Hmm. Like I said, it's not on page 82. It gives you a chance to look at your own life and completely reframe it. Yeah. Yeah. Those are really good. Those are really good. All right. So talk to us a little bit about one of the things you talk about is simplicity. Mm -hmm. And I cannot tell you how much crap I have pulled out of my house in the last several years. Now, some of it was because my kids left home and left all their crap here for me to deal with. Mm -hmm. Some of it is my mom passed and I had her stuff to to deal with. But I've also... I just cleaned out my closet. When I change my clothes around for the seasons, I always do a clean out and I feel so much lighter when I do that. But we, as a as a, a culture in the US, I'm sure it's other places too, are collectors of stuff. Right. And it's it's stuff, it's like physical stuff, but it's also emotional stuff. We like to hang on to our little victimhoods and our little, you know, slights that we've experienced and those sorts of things. So- yeah. From a simplicity point of view, how do we begin to simplify that kind of part of our life, especially the, the internal part? Well, you look at old stories you tell yourself, first of all, and you say, is that still me? I mean, it's, I'm sorry, but my father wanted me to be a lawyer. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, I often say everyone in my family was medical. I could have danced on the table and recited Shakespeare and they wouldn't have got me. Right. So you just, you learn the lessons, then you throw them out, but you thank them before you throw them out. Yes. You draw strength from where you have been and what you've learned. I've done the cancer dance three times. Mm. Was it fun? No. Did it radically change my life? Yes. But the experience has made me more deeply compassionate and a better teacher and counselor. Spiritual items have compassion for who you were. We all grow, bless and release. We all have those people that, you know, why did they do this to me? What you know, bless and release. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. My best friend for many years just one day tossed me out of her apartment and ghosted. Mm. I'm never going to figure out why. Mm-hmm. But if she hadn't done that, would I still be the person I am now? Maybe not. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Change without condemning. Uh, you know, there's nothing worse than a reformed smoker was the old saying. <laughs> so if you know that behavior you did before was toxic, mm-hmm. don't be 
as I call it, wiki wooier than thou. I, I am so clear. I am enlightened. She's not. Oh, then no, you are not. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. As as I say, those are the people who say my aura don't stink. No. Yeah. You have, and you're what you just did. We have to look at this as as humor. Remember, we're just a part that our soul is playing. The soul comes back time and time again. But Lauren and Corby, we are one and done. Mm-hmm. And when we cross over, what the soul keeps are all the good things about us. Mm-hmm. The example I use is my father. He was my best friend. He died 20 years ago. He was a fabulous cardiologist. If I'm doing medical intuitive work, he'll come in. Mm. He still puns terribly. <laughs> he is kind. He is compassionate. He is a medical genius. Mm-hmm. What? is totally gone because it was only needed to learn things here on earth, his anxiety, his depression, and his hypochondria. Hmm. So realize, even if somebody on earth is emotionally stunted or cruel, Mm -hmm. that is the part they're playing. Mm -hmm. And their soul hangs it up in the closet when it's done. Mm -hmm. So they are not the bad person. It's the lesson that you needed. Right. My mother was an alcoholic cross-addicted with barbiturates who agreed with me in our pre-birth planning session that she would behave toward me in a certain way so I'd learn my lessons. Mm-hmm. But our souls are up there watching, eating popcorn together. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I had a narcissistic mother who ended up with you know 10 plus years of dementia at the end of her life. And mm-hmm. we had a very less than happy relationship. I think she thought it was grand. I thought it was awful. And I had a really hard time forgiving her for that, mm-hmm. but it did help at the near the end of her life. It helped me to know that she was never going to change. That was just, that was what she was here to be and to do. And mm-hmm. I had to make peace with that. And I did, which was mm-hmm. a beautiful gift to me at the end of her life that I was able to do that. She came back to me. I don't do a lot of mediumship, but she came back to me a couple of times shortly after she passed mm-hmm. and her energy was so sweet and light and beautiful. And I I knew it was her, but it was like, you should have been this way when you're on earth. (laughs) Now I know in hindsight that I am not, I am the person I am now because of having to learn those lessons and go through those trials. Exactly. And it's made me a really good advocate and healer for not healer, but, you know, facilitator of healing Mm -hmm. for a lot of people because they are attracted to me. I have a similar experience. I've been through it and I have become much wiser because of it. And mm-hmm. so I, I I think a lot of those, you know, people are attracted to us because of the paths we've taken and we can be a better counselor to them. I I often say if I was a size two blonde with a trust fund and no problems, I would have no business. Yeah. Because people would look at me and say, you'll never understand. I right. there's pretty much nothing you've been through that I haven't dealt with. Right. So yes, I will. Yeah. And I will not judge. Because right. they're afraid of being judged. Right. Yeah. 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 It's that understanding that we make a contract before we come mm-hmm. in, a life plan to learn <laughs> certain things, to clear certain things. It definitely helps to understand that. It's still hard to go through it, mm-hmm. but it's, it gives you that perspective, a little bit of perspective that you can pull out. Yes. into. I wish I had known it sooner, <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. I didn't Don't come into all. this until, you know, my, my, what fifties? <laughs> That's really, I think, useful information for people to know that 
yeah, it's just a role that we're playing. And I have to remember that with the broader culture right now, because I know we are clearing so much crap out of our cumulative life closets, but it's so hard to be present in. So we're going to go through some very, very dark times. Yes. But we light workers, we volunteered to be here to heal, to bandage, mm-hmm. to hold up a light, to feed, to let them know that the darkness is not all there is. Yes. Oh, that hmm. Whew, that one brought tears to my eyes. <laughs> but you're right. It's I keep I keep saying to other spiritual people that we need to be the light. We need to be the light. We can't get dragged down into the darkness. So thank you for that reminder. That's, yeah, that may be the most important part of this conversation today <laughs> because it is it, it is feeling very dark and we have to move through it with as much grace as we can. And this is not a time to think love and light, love and light, love and light. Mm-hmm. This is a time to look at reality mm-hmm. and realize that it's it's the tower card in tarot. The tower card, everybody looks at as doom, gloom, and destruction, Mm -hmm. but I don't. I say, look, it's the imploding sports stadium card. You know, if the Yankees want to build a new stadium, they got to blow up the old one first and clear the ground. And that's what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's where I, I keep reminding myself, old things are coming up so we can clear it out and we can make room for, you know, we can finish the work on that. So we can make room for something better. Yeah. And, you know, we may not live to see it, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. We will play our part as we have to play our part. And for those who don't know, this is what the tower card looks like. Mm. Yeah. Clear your stadium. I like that interpretation of it. I'm not super familiar with tarot. I've had some readings over the the years, but so often I would get kind Mm. of rattled by the readings I got. And I, I love that that's really taking it and it's going to be hard. It's going to be, you know, difficult. Things are not going to be the way we want them to be, but we are clearing out. And if not for us in our lifetime, for our children and our grandchildren and whoever else comes along behind us, we're going to make a better world ultimately. <laughs> yes. That's, that's why I always tell rookies death, the devil in the tower. If they come up, I'll tell you what they mean. Cause it ain't bad. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. They think death cards are going to be hit by a bus on Tuesday. Right. No, right. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. It's the end of something. So something new can be born. Death of an old way of life. Death of what you've outgrown. Death of what was never you in the first place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think this is a really good message for the new year. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> okay. So there's another area that I just wanted to dive into a little bit with you, and that's adaptability. Mm-hmm. I think this is a skill we're all going to need coming up. Yes. I yes. Mean, we need it anyway, but I think it's going to be a real strong tool for us, a real strong skill, adaptability. So talk a little bit about, I know this is where the perfection stuff came in in the book. Yes. But, but from your point of view, what do we need to understand about adaptability? And, and we can even frame it in this time. We're doing this at the beginning of the year for a reason. So mm-hmm. for all of us in this year of 2023, tell us about adaptability. (laughs) Well, there's always going with the flow. There's always realizing perfection isn't what you think it is. But what I'm going to say for a fast tool is use the idea of the examined life. You've got a situation you really don't want, but you know you can't get out of it. So you say, okay, I have to go through this. 
what can I learn from this? What's the lesson? For me personally, it's always, now how am I going to teach with it? Mm. And then the magic word, next. The example I always use is I've done the cancer dance three times. The last one was a second primary, so the clock was back to zero for danger, but the doctor said, three strikes, you're out. We're taking the rack. We're taking the ovaries. Then you're going from this Dolly Parton figure to a fat fire plug with permanent side effects in three weeks. Suck it up. And I had just been married 18 months before. Oh, gosh. So I had to find three reasons to be okay with it. Number one, you don't have them. You can't get cancer there. Number two, the top half is not going to get slammed in the refrigerator door at the doctor's every year. And every woman listening knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> Implants means I'll be perky till I'm 93. Okay. So I got out of Massachusetts General after a double mastectomy and reconstruction in three days, shopped for a bathing suit in five. That was 18 years ago. I'm still clean. And that's when I also found out what a hero my husband was because he said, am I going to miss them? Oh, yeah, they were gorgeous. But I married you, not them. And last year was our 20th anniversary. So mm. then, yeah, that's adaptability, my kids. You're yeah. not going to avoid the really awful stuff. But how you determine to walk through it is the way to handle it. Yeah. There's, I've, I've seen articles over the years about how people say in, in your situation there or in hospital, those who have a, an optimistic point of view mm -hmm. heal faster and live longer. Yes. I have written an article called being a co-conspirator is better than being a patient. Right. And you are part of your healing. Right. Right. You're empowering your body to do what it's built to do, which is to come yes. back to a sense of wellness and homeostasis where everything's getting yes. with it. So that sense of adaptability to me is a lot of, is where optimism can come from. Yes. When you're in the midst of, of, you know, shitty times, <laughs> you know, um, yep. it's something my husband was able to do for me a lot when our kids were young, because I was an overwhelmed stay at home mom who never intended to be a stay at home mom. So I didn't have support structures and that kind of thing. And we had a son who had severe health issues and I was constantly afraid he was going to die. <laughs> But it was food allergies and it was asthma and we were able to manage it. And my husband would go, you know, it's not cancer. We can deal with this. <laughs> yeah. And it was that perspective thing. It totally flipped my thinking. It allowed me to step back and go, you know, you're right. This is not the worst possible scenario. It's actually one we can manage. And my son is- And teach him to manage as he grows. We taught him to manage as he grows. I taught him a lot about being self-sufficient and self-caring. And he's, he no turned 30 parties. in a couple of weeks. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Nope. You can't smoke pot. <laughs> you know, that's going to yeah. be bad for your lungs. You know, you got to be careful eating out all of those things that we had to do. Do you have your EpiPen with you? <laughs> no. But that switch, well, it could be so much worse. We're doing okay. Mm -hmm. For me, that was a huge perspective switch which allowed me to be more positive with myself and with my kids and less stress because I yes. can opt out of that stress. I don't have to stress about the worst case scenario because we're not there. We don't have that. So it brought together all of those wonderful things. I wasn't capable of doing it for myself at the time because I was sleep deprived and overwhelmed, <laughs> but he was able to do that for me. And, and that's you know probably a role we have. 
The other thing to flip is stay away from people from Neverland. It'll never work. No, you can't. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. I remember in November, I had a sore throat and I, there was no fever, no aches, no pains. I could still taste it. So, so I knew this was just a case of the crud, mm -hmm. but I had friends that said, oh no, you have to keep testing every day because my daughter or my sister, they were fine for three days and then it was COVID. Fine. You want to try and put that in my brain? It's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. I know my own body. Mm -hmm. I know how well I take care of it. Yeah. And I'm already, you know, I, I was already carpet bombing it with echinacea right. and all kinds of things. But they had to make sure that I had the same fear that they lived with. Right. And I refused it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. You may think that if you wish, but I'm over here. Yeah. I'm not taking it in. Mm -mm. Yeah. So fear, I mean, and this is not necessarily part of your book, but I think it's part of the conversation we're having. Fear yes. is so thick in our culture. And it's thick around the world. And sometimes there's good reasons for it. But a lot of ours mm -hmm. is being ginned up synthetically, I would say. <laughs> the, the way I explain it to people of fear equals false evidence appearing real. Mm. Fame equals full acceptance means everything. Mm. Are you going to be fearful or famous? Mm -hmm. Full acceptance doesn't mean you accept that you're going to have COVID, but it means that you accept, fine, I've got the crud right now. It is what it is. Let's see where we're going with it. Mm -hmm. I'm still working. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I remember in the early days of COVID, just going to the grocery store would wipe me out because the fear was so thick. You know, it was mm -hmm. one of the few places people had to go. Yes. And it was just, I, I would be wiped out for the rest of the day after I went. Oh, same. We would go at night one half hour before the store closed and nobody was in there and masked and gloved. Yes, right. And then wiping everything down with the Clorox when you get home. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was just nuts. Yeah. But, you know, one of the disguised wise men of our times, Mr. Rogers, I always said in in difficult situations, look for the helpers. And that's where I want people to go as things get dark. Find your friends. Yeah. See the people who do need the help. Help where you can. Right. There's some news you need, but you don't need to buy into the 24-7 screed. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. you are the only one responsible for how you feel. So choose how you feel and who you feel that with. Mm. I love that. I think that's a great place to leave this today. So show us your book. So everybody knows what it looks like when they go to get it. Yep. Clean out your life closet. It's a, it's yep. really a quick read. I've read it and it's full of wisdom and tools. And I think we're going to need a lot of them in the coming years. Yeah, hopefully we can shorten that time period, but <laughs> yes, at least um, the next can get it on yeah. Amazon. It's paperback Kindle, and it's also an audio book. And I did the narration because to mm -hmm. me, for nonfiction books, if the author is truly passionate about what they're telling you and they've got a decent voice, listen to them. They will put so much love and intensity in the words for you. Yeah. Yeah. I love books because it's the closest we get to telepathy. You know, mm -hmm. the ideas from my brain and the emotions with them come out through the book and into yours. Yes. And yes. it's magic just for that reason. So, all right. Well, I want to thank you for being here. I, I appreciate you powering through the crud. Thank you. <laughs> and I hope you have a wonderful 2023 with a lot of perspective and adaptability and good humor. 
I'll take that, my friend. Thank you. And right back at you. Thank you for joining us today. I hope that this has been a meaningful conversation to you. I think there's a lot of good juicy stuff here. And we'll be back next Tuesday with another episode of Curiously Wise. I hope you'll join us here and on YouTube. See you later. Thank you so much for joining us today on Curiously Wise. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future fabulous conversations. And if you had any ahas, please share them in a review on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to pay forward the unique wisdom we all have. If you want to know more about me or my intuitive energy healing practice, Heartlight Wellness, please head over to my website, www.heartlightjoy.com. Curiously Wise is a team effort. I am grateful for the skill and enthusiasm Arlene Membrot, our producer, and Sam Wittig, our audio engineer, bring to this collaboration. Our music is Where the Light Is by Lemon Music Studio. I'm Lauren Wittig. Please join me again next week for another episode of Curiously Wise. From my heart to yours, may your life be filled with love, light, joy, and of course, curiosity.